The title of the message today is simply, More of God and Less of Me. More of God and Less of Me. Now you see the title of the message up on the screen and it's going to stay there. I've asked them gentlemen to leave it up there through the entire service today. Now I'm going to ask seven questions this morning. And what I want you to do is respond with that answer. We're not going to talk about them. I just got seven questions. Are you, are, that's pretty, isn't it great to get a test and have the answer? Amen. I remember when I was in high school, my shop teacher, he, uh, uh, it was automotive shop and we was, we was really busy and, and we had a huge class and uh, we, he came up to us one day and he says, we're having a test and you know, like everybody, and he says, well, it's going to be the easiest test you ever had. He says, I'm going to give you the answers. Well, we thought it was a trick. Well, actually he did. He gave us the answers. That was the best test, highest grade I ever got. <laughs> Amen. I was proud of that 100%. I can tell you that now. But I'm going to ask you seven questions, and I want you to verbally respond with that answer. Are you ready? How can I grow spiritually? How can I grow in the knowledge of God's Word? How can I be a better witness for Jesus? How do I fully commit to Jesus' will for my life? How can I survive in this sinful world? How do I live my life so the world sees Jesus and not me? And the last one is, how can I overcome addiction and evil influence? Did you get the message? We need more of God and we need less of us. When it comes down to being a Christian, we have to be humble. But we not only have to be humble, the one great ingredient that comes along with humility is submission. We need to be in a greater submission with God. We want to be better parents. We want to be better everything in this life. We want to be better pastors. We want to be better Sunday school teachers. We want to be better everything in this life. You want to be a better employee where you work. More of God and less of you. When God is reproduced in our life and He is not restricted by ourselves, then the world will always see and hear and understand God. They will never see and try to interpret us as ourselves. They will see Jesus as He is. They will see Christ as who He was when He came to be 2,000 years ago. We will see the abundance of understanding. We will see the abundance of wisdom. We ourselves will be encouraged by the life that we live before Jesus and for others. Every Christian needs to be encouraged. I don't know. I think sometimes we do forget that. I believe we understand that. I do. I, I really believe that we, we understand that. But I think there's many times that we forget that we need to be encouraged. I think that we hear so many times from the pulpits, and I'm not saying it's wrong because it's not wrong, that we need to be an encouragement to others. And we do. Absolutely. We need to be that absolute light before a lost and dying world about and for Jesus Christ. I get it. Absolutely. But here's the thing. When our, when our bucket of grace begins to empty, 
when that little small pinhole becomes something that is several inches round and that grace just begins to dump out of us because we are constantly giving. And if we are not bringing something back in to replenish that, then as we dry up, then grace dries up, knowledge dries up, the ability to witness to others dries up, the, the ability to live in a lost and dying world dries, dries up, the, the abilities to be a better witness dries up. All of these seven things that I brought to you, it dries up. We need to be replenished. We need to be blessed. That's what this message is about today. It's more, it's more of God and less of us. Now think about this quickly before I get into the text. Now I have a lot of reading today, so I'm going to be speed reading, okay? So we're, we're just going to, we're going to get through this as quickly as we can. And understand this, that to, to have the grace of God, to be the fullest of the witness that you need to be for Jesus Christ, to feel good about yourself as a Christian, you need to be putting more of God and less of you. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm going to raise my own hand. Has anybody in here ever seen a time in your life where it was more of you and less of God? Yes, absolutely. And let me tell you what, those days come quickly. And those days, now listen to me, sometimes those days come very unaware. What do you mean by that? I'll simply tell you this. There's times when we get so involved in life, we stop forgetting about actually who gave us life. And when the abundance of God's grace and mercy begins to be filtered out by the things of the world and by worrying about what it is that man does, what man's opinions are, what we believe man thinks, what we believe man wants, what the world says, everything's in chaos, everything's in turmoil. Let me tell you what, it doesn't matter. This world itself can go into a place of absolute and utter personal destruction, but there's still a creator that's got his finger on the pulse of the world. There is a God and a Christ that is still in control. Man is out of control, but God is in control. God controls everything. You say, well, wait a minute. Why is man doing what they're doing? Because that's what man does best, manly things. But God is in control. And let me say this. How do we see that in the world? We see it through you. And we see it through me. We see it through salvation. We see it through grace. We see it through love. We see it through understanding. And not getting ourselves wrapped up into the things of the world, but always being wrapped up with the things of God. I want you to turn in your copy of God's Word this morning to John chapter 3, verse 22. John chapter 3, verse 22. If you love the Lord, say amen. We talked about all these things so far this morning, and I want to give this to you. And we think, well, you know, how, 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 how am I blessed? How do I, how do I live? No, I'm t- talking about personally identifying the blessings of your life. That's not what I'm talking about. God blesses us with health. He blesses us with life. He blesses us with material things. He blesses us with so many things. But through the message today, we're going to be talking about what can I do to help me? Amen. If somebody is, if somebody's faith and their walk with the Lord is specifically contingent upon you, you'll be strong for a little while, but then you're going to get weak really fast. 
When there's somebody in your life, it doesn't matter who that person is, when there's somebody in your life and they have to have you strong all the time for them to survive. Oh, you'll endure for a while. You'll deal with it for a while. You'll, your knees will be strong. Your legs will be strong. Your back will be strong. But brothers and sisters, we all know it's not going to take but a very short period of time. And then your knees are going to begin to buckle. Your legs are going to get weak. And your back is going to be burdened. Why do I say this? The spirituality and the spiritual walk of my wife is first and foremost with her and her relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. I'm to help her. I'm to encourage her. I'm to walk with her. I'm to be with her. When she's down, I'm supposed to pick her up. When she's up, I need to pick her up higher. Amen. But if somebody else's spiritual life becomes contingent upon who I am and me alone, then everybody falters and fails. The power of Jesus is great. The power of Jesus is greater than every circumstance. The understanding of life, the understanding of of, of perseverance, the understanding of all things godly, of all things righteous, of all things Jesus, of all things of God, stands between the individual believer and their Creator and their Savior. I want to read this verse of Scripture to you. It's very familiar for many of us. And then we're going to John 3. So just listen to this this morning. I just want to quote to you Hebrews 11, chapter 11, verse 6. The Word of God says, the author of Hebrews simply says this, and the power of the statement comes to the individual character, the individual life, the individual representation of Jesus. He simply says this, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith. It is absolutely impossible to please God. Why do we find ourselves faltering and failing? Why do we find ourselves leaning more on other people when we should be leaning upon the foundation of faith in our own mind and heart? It's because we're faltering in faith. We can read the Word of God. You can have the greatest pastor, the greatest expositor of God's Word in the pulpit pouring his heart out to you. But unless we are stopped being dull of hearing, until we decide and come to a point to where we want our faith exercised by the preaching and teaching of God's Word, but also by the understanding and the implementation in our daily walk with the Lord, the Word of God is simply nothing more than words that's been uttered by a man that loves Jesus. We need to have our own personal faith. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He says that if we want to please God, and I believe every Christian does want to please God. I believe every born again believer, it's in us. It's who we are. We want to bring the good things of God out. We want to be a blessing to other people. We want God to be pleased with us. We want to imagine in our minds and our hearts that as we we look to heaven that we can see God and Christ sitting on their thrones and they are looking down at us with a smile on their face because we love Jesus. We love His Word. We love the commandments of grace. We love the anointing of the Spirit of God in our life. We love to just please Him. But to please Him, we have to first stop pleasing our own selves, spiritually, morally. He says, for he that cometh to God. Have you come to God? Have you made a decision by grace through faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ? For he that cometh to God believes. If your salvation was contingent upon anything other than grace, you're not saved by God's grace. You're saved away from God's grace because you're saved unto your own faith. And He is a rewarder of them. That diligently seek Him. 
He is one. And this is, this is a phenomenon. You read this on face value and you read that and you think, wow, that is so negative. It's not. He rewardeth each of them that diligently seeks Him. We want grace. We want love. We want to feel good in our hearts and our minds. We want to sin less. We want to have to find a place in our life when we're going, man, when's the last time I asked the Lord to forgive me of something? Wouldn't that be great? Anybody want to say amen? Amen. Wouldn't it be great that you cannot remember the last time that you had to kneel on the altar of God's favor and His love upon the salvation that lies within you? Wouldn't it be great to have a bad memory that you kneel down and say, Lord, I... wow, I can't remember the last, thing I... last time I did something wrong. Lord, what was the last time I said, I said Lord, forgive me? When was the last time there was something that I did in my life and something progressed in my life? When was the last time I did anything when I had to ask that? And so many people think, and, and let me just jump into this because that's its own story. We think, well, Pastor, it's impossible. But all things are possible with God. More of God, less of me. More of God, more grace. Less of me, less repentance. Does it make sense? Let's look. John 3, 22. I'm going to read down to verse 30. So I told you there's a lot of reading today, and there is. But in some of these verses today, I, I, just, I have to read all this because I want the flow. I don't want to just jump into to an end result. So let's look here and see what uh, John the Baptist has to say about faith, his faith, Jesus, their faith. After these things came Jesus uh, and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Enon near Salem, because there was much water there. And there came, or and they came, and they were baptized. For John was not yet cast into prison. For there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. Now, now notice the context of the conversation. And they came unto John, and they said unto him, Rabbi, teacher, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, pay attention, it's very important, because you're going to need this in verse 29, that, bear, that you beareth witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. Boy, that's a powerful statement in itself. Amen? Where's your salvation lie? John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given uh, from, to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness of me. Now pay attention. This is the politics of man versus the, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the, the appointment of God. You yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because he stands next to him. He stands with him. He stands with him and not in opposition of him. He stands in support of him because of the bridegroom's voice. This, my joy. Now listen to what he says. This, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. So here John the Baptist simply says this. He says he understands his appointment and he understands his position with Jesus' will for his life. 
We know who John the Baptist was. We know the story. We know what happened. We know his death. We know all of these things. We know where he was at. We know the message of grace. He says, I'm come. He told Jesus, listen, I'm not even worthy of, of, of latching your shoes. He says, I can do nothing for you to bring about your favor to me other than your love for me. So here John, and I know I'm jumping around and trying to bring a lot to you here today. He says at the end of verse 29, John says simply that by being the forerunner of Jesus Christ, by understanding my appointment, by understanding my position in the will of Jesus for my life, he says I find joy. How do we find this joy? How do we find this favor? This was the verse of Scripture that the Spirit of God gave me that led me to this message. And we find it in verse 30. Here is the solution. Here is the conclusion to this appointment and to this position in Jesus' will for His life, meaning John the Baptist, when he simply utters these words and he says, for He, meaning Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. He says to find joy in my relationship with Jesus. To find joy in my appointment with Jesus. To find joy in my position with Jesus. To do the will of Jesus, I must first increase Him and then decrease me. I love how this is put here that He did not say that I must decrease, that He must increase. He put it and said that he must increase and by the increasing of God's grace and mercy and the, lead, and the leading of Jesus in my life, instantaneously I decrease. See, we don't think about that very often. We don't think about, well, it's like, well, I do this. For how many times have we heard people say, well, you know, I'm not good enough yet to receive God's grace, or I'm not good enough yet to be saved, or I've got some things to work out. If you could have done it, you'd have already did it. It's only through Jesus' grace. It's only through the washing away of your sins that will be remembered no more that you can get past who you was outside of Him. It's only the wills of God, the ways of God to be a pastor, to be a teacher, just to be a good father and mother, husband and wife. You must increase God in your life. And when you increase grace, you dismiss sin and selfishness. And we, we flounder in life. And I mean, I'm not talking about the ones that aren't going to church. I'm talking about those of us that come to church every week. I'm talking about those of us that come to service every time the doors open. I'm talking about those of us that we feel in our hearts and our lives that we are fully committed to Jesus Christ, but yet there's so much of us. And then we feel bad. When we get back to the point we need to feel good about ourselves. And then we have so much unconfessed sin but justified through life. We continue to do the things that we do. And I know some people after they were saved that you still struggled, the flesh struggled with addictions of the flesh. The addiction that first comes to mind and heart is not that of alcohol and drugs, not the things that we put in, but the things that are in that we let out. Jesus said, whatever in your heart comes out of your mouth. 
If grace is in your heart, grace comes out of your mouth. If anger is in your heart, anger comes out of your mouth. If you are justified in your heart, justification are the words that are being spoken, but yet it's through the utterance of other words of pointing fingers at other people and saying it is their fault for the way that I am and for the things that I do, but it's simply justification. If I want my wife to be better, if I want my wife to be closer to the Lord, not that she has to be contingent upon me and my strength and my relationship with the Lord, but if I want to see her or if I want to see our kids, if I want to see our grandkids, if I want to see you grow in God's grace, then the grace of God must first grow in me. Because as the manifestation of knowledge, of understanding, and the power of the resurrected Christ that lives today, as He lives in me, as He dwells in me, as He fulfills me and completes me, and as He makes me everything that I need to be, because me, myself, on my own, I cannot do it. But through Him and through His knowledge and for everything that He does, then I can become all these things that I want to be. But I can't be me and represent Him. I can't do everything that I want to do and find joy in serving Him. I first have to find peace in my own heart to find favor with Him. You know, one of the greatest examples of that that I saw years ago early in the ministry was there was a person that played music they played an instrument and they played very well and I love to hear him play every opportunity I got to listen to him I love to hear him play they were saved they came to church but by their own omission they were backslidden in heart When that person rededicated their life to Jesus, they played in a way that I'd never heard them play before. Same instrument, same song, same place, different heart. They had a heart that was rekindled and rededicated to Jesus. And instantly, the presence in that notification was seen. And how they played the songs. And they played them for Jesus. And not for man. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I asked it earlier, I'll say it again. If you love the Lord, say amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to verse 6. You want to feel good about the presence of the Lord in your heart. Not feeling good just about yourself, but feeling good about the presence of a heart. I just need to say that one more time. So I'm not sitting here saying build yourself up. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying build Jesus up and then it'll build you up. Amen? Amen. Come on, it's Sunday morning. We just sung I'll fly away. We got to get, listen, we're already in there. We're gliding. Come on. Amen? We serve a risen Savior, not a dead demigod. Understanding the the giving of your heart. Verses 6 to 10. Quickly. But this I say, the Apostle Paul says, He which soweth sparingly 
shall reap also sparingly. So some of you think, wait a minute, he's talking about money. No, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about the, the position of your mind and of your heart. This is where the Apostle Paul was going with this. He says that if you sow sparingly, show, so shall you reap sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also what? What does that simply mean? Is that as you pour out, not that you're giving to get. That's the one thing about being a Christian. We, we get so disrupted and so twisted about. Because we think, well, I'm doing this because I expect this of God. I'm doing this in Jesus' name, but in reality, I'm just looking to see what He's going to do for me. The Apostle Paul doesn't say that. He says that when you give of your heart, the first motivation of your heart is not the giving. It's them getting. Does that make sense? For those of us that like to cook. You take it and you set it down in front of somebody and then you're like. <laughs> and you sit there and you're like, man, I poured my heart out in that fried chicken. Boy, that just, mm. Boy, that's, mm, I love it. And that boy, it looks so good. The house smells so good. You ever been around a house that just had fried chicken cooked in it? Oh, that's just Baptist. <laughs> you take that plate of food. <laughs> you take that plate of food and you set it down there and you look and you're like. And you see everybody, they're grabbing all this and they're eating. And they're like, hey, how's the sports going? Everything going on? Yeah, what's going on? And you're like. What's up with that? Amen. Yeah, whoa. Oh, what about me? You know, you may not say it, so I'm sure some do, but what about me? Do you have any idea how many hours I stood and slaved over that stove? Do you realize it's gonna take me three days to get this chicken smell out of my hair? Don't you realize I'm going to cross bend this house for a week just to be able to get back to some normality where I can smell that apple cinnamon junk I got burning in the next room? What is wrong with you? Amen. That's a great example. Thank you. That's a great example. That's a great example of what not to do. The greatest of that example is, is you pour your heart out because you love those that are going to receive it. You pour your heart out into it and you give all that you got because Christ gave all he gave to you. And it may just be a piece of fried chicken to somebody else. But to you, it's a giving of your heart. It's a giving of your life. It's a giving of preparation. It's a giving of work. It's a giving of sweating. It's a giving of just giving what lives inside of you. And when you slide that plate, your response is not looking... <clears throat> To how they respond, your response by putting that plate is, is turning around and going back to the kitchen to continue preparing and to continue serving because you are already satisfied because you've been gratified with the presence of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. Every man according as he purposes in his heart. It's about your heart. So let him give. Don't do it grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. You want God to be blessed, then bless God and stop worrying about the blessing that you think God will give back. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, 
There's times when time is difficult. There's times when, when situations are difficult. There's times when it's difficult to want to give. There's times where you may be begrudging in your heart because you're suffering, you're burdensome, you're in pain. There's just something in your life that is grieving your mind, heart, soul, and spirit. There is something that is just deep inside of you and all you want to do is just crawl up in a corner and all you want to do is just to think about you and to think about what you're going through. These times are real. Every single living, breathing person goes through these times. We all do. Every person suffers in the flesh. Every person goes through trials of the heart, the mind, and the spirit. Every person goes through. And the Apostle Paul says, but God is able. God is able to pour out to you the grace that you need. The favor that you need when you see sadness, when you see despair, but you feel the understanding and the love of Christ. But I love at the end of verse 8, and I'm going to move on for the sake of time. But he says, how do I find this? How do I find this sufficiency? How do I find this love? How do I find this complacency? How do I find that this empty hole that's in my heart? How do I find the grace of God to fill it? How do I do it? He answers at the end of verse 8 when he says that it is bound, abound, but it is bound to every good work. You want to know the best, now listen to me quickly, I'm going to move on. You want to know the best place to find this, this work? It's not at the soup kitchen. It's not the homeless person staying alongside the road with a little cardboard sign. You want to know the best place? To find this in your home. In your home. So many times we think about to find this, we've got to do work out of the house. You want God's blessings for that work out? You better be blessing others first in. Let me just say this. I praise God it's being recorded this morning. You want to know what the healing factor of all this that we see in here? Yes, grace, Jesus, salvation, absolutely. Selflessness. Selflessness. Putting others before ourselves. That's not being done. 1 Thessalonians chapter 9. Oh. No. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. But as concerning brotherly love, it says touching, but concerning. You want to touch the hearts of people. You want to touch the minds and the lives of people. But concerning brotherly love, I love how Paul writes this. And if you write in your Bible, underscore this, write mark underneath of it. Ye need not. I love that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, he says, concerning brotherly love, he says, I don't need to tell you to do this. Amen. 
I don't have to. Now I'm going to paraphrase here very quickly. He says, I don't have to teach you brotherly love. I don't have to expound upon brotherly love. I don't have to do anything about brotherly love. I don't have to take a seminar. I don't have to give you some higher education over. He says, listen to this. this I love this because this talks about one of the absolute most compassionate, loving comparisons of Jesus's heart in ours. He says, I don't need to teach it to you because it's already in you. And it goes back to the home. I can tell my wife I love her, and I tell her every day I love her many times a day. But does she believe me? We tell the Lord every Sunday morning at 10 a.m., or about quarter to 10, as we're heading to the church, oh, I love you. Is that the first time of a new week you're telling him that? Or is that the first time in weeks you're telling him that? little tidbit he says i need not to, that i write unto you for ye yourselves are taught of god to love one another and he says and indeed you do it in towards all the brethren which are in all macedonia but we beseech you this is the crying of his heart of his mind he says but we beseech you my brethren that you increase it more and more i don't know this is macedonia This is Hedgeville, West Virginia, Berkeley County, but this is Macedonia. We need to be extending the olive branch of grace. We need to have it out there even when we're not even thinking about it. We need to extend it out there. We need to love one another, not just on Sunday morning when the church starts. We don't need to just love one another when congregational worship is over and we're meeting in the parking lot for a few minutes and shaking hands and hugging necks and doing all those things the government tells us not to do. When we come embracing one another, when we come together in Jesus Christ, when we come together in the passions, this is the Macedonia of our time we need to be showing grace and let me say this and i'm going to just jump ahead understand this if the world sees the church in confusion and in division all they can and will ever do is justify their own position outside of grace this is why church family this is why i've said this For so many years, this is vital. This is great. This is wonderful. But this is vital. I can't tell you how many times, Brother Jesse, how many times that me and my wife have went home, been discouraged, been dismayed. Just all I'm talking about leaving church. I'm just being real. I'm not, I'm not lying. I'm going to say there and be a hypocrite before you because I know my heart. I know where my heart's been in the past. I mean, I've left out of this pulpit where the only place that I found peace in my life was up here for 30 minutes preaching. And then we go home. We came over here discouraged. But when we got back to the house, I'd see a smile on her face. I'm like, what's going on? Well, sister so-and-so came up and gave me a hug and she told me she loved me. That's all it was. Or I know she's going through something and I'll see her. She's little. Just, you know what I mean? And I don't ask her, hey, what's wrong with you? I look at her and say, hey, what's going on? Well, sister so-and-so sent me a text. 
or I got a card in the mail. Somebody took just a few seconds out of their day to think about somebody else, not even knowing what they were going through, but realizing it was right on time. Go ahead and close your Bibles. I want to read one more passage of Scripture here this morning. Sister Jill, if you'll go ahead and come on up, please. I want to read this to you and just listen to me this morning. This is 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20. As the Apostle Paul closes out this first letter to this young preacher Timothy, I want you to listen to his words. I want you to listen to his heart. I want you to understand his position with Jesus, his position with the world, his position with the gospel, his position with the love of this young preacher. All of these things, Just I want you to just listen to his heart very quickly. Are you ready? He says, Old Timothy. I love how he starts that verse out. Old Timothy. You can hear the crying of his heart. You can hear the sincerity of grace pouring through him as the Spirit of God is leading him to write this to Timothy. He says, oh, Timothy, he says, guard. The, word, the King James says to keep, but it means to guard. He says, oh, Timothy, he says, guard. He says, guard that which is committed to your trust. Guard what Christ has given you. He's talking about the appointment of his heart. He's talking about the grace of God that lives within him. He's not first talking to him about being a pastor or a preacher or a teacher of the word. He's talking about Timothy. The first thing he says, Timothy, he says, you need to guard that what has been committed unto your trust. He says, avoid. This is why it's personal. It's not professional of the pulpit. First, it's personal of his relationship with Christ. He says, avoid profane and vain babblings. He said, avoid everything that brings in sinfulness. Anything that you think, anything that you process, anything that you hold and dwell on, anything that's going to break down the working of the Spirit of God in your life, he says, get away from it. See, we want to interpret that to be that it's only the words, Ben, that is spoken. The Apostle Paul says, be careful of what you let in. Because if you don't guard yourself, that sin nature of the flesh, and every one of us has got it, it's going to come out. And it don't need a lot of priming. It doesn't need a lot of poking. It doesn't need a lot of attention. All it needs is just a little bit of just acknowledgement. He says, so you stay away and avoid profane and vain babblings. Let's stand this morning as I conclude this verse. He says, and you need to avoid it. You need to stay away from it. He says you need to, to abstain from it. And he says also that with profane and with babblings, he says, and that, that what is uh, uh, the opposition of the knowledge of the false things that are being told to you. Now I'm paraphrasing the last part of that verse. 
He says when somebody tells you something that you know contradicts the grace of God that lives in you and the knowledge of that grace that lives in you, He said oppose it. Don't stand up and look at somebody that's telling you that salvation is other ways than God. They can say works is part of salvation. I don't care what it is that they want to say. Their grandpappy on the grandma's third cousin's side was a great witness. They was a great person. They was a great. Let me tell you what. If they was in Jesus, praise God. But that doesn't make you good. He says you stay away from all of those things. All of those things that you know that can hurt you. The entrusting of your heart. The entrusting of your mind. He says the entrusting of the gospel ministry. The entrusting of being a pastor. The entrusting of being a teacher. But here simply what he says is, Timothy, if you do not guard your own mind and your heart, everything else is already in jeopardy. Your marriage, your relationship with your kids, your ministry the people that are sitting under the spiritual authority of you, they're suffering. They're going to hurt because you're not guarding yourself. You know where I'm fixing to go with this, right? Do you have a lock on your heart's door? Or do you leave it cracked open for Satan just to come in whenever he wants? Do you have a padlock? Do you have a flip lock? Praise God. Do you have a combination lock that there's only one person that can unlock that is you? What's on your heart's door? How do you let Satan in? But most of all, how do you let God out? Every day is a trying time. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you have one ultimate decision to make before you leave this life. You either decide to be on His side by accepting the fullness of His grace and His love for you outside of your own abilities and you receive that gift of grace or you deny it. You walk away from it. You spit in His face. You crawl across the Calvary of farce. It's a lie. I'll get there my own way. Oh, I'm going to close with this. Oh, you're going to see Jesus. Everybody's going to see Jesus. That part I will give to the world's authority. Everybody's going to see Jesus. You're right. You're going to see Jesus. I'm not going to deny that fact one little bit. You and me, every one of us, alive and dead and those to be born, everybody's going to see Jesus. But the question is, will you remain seeing Him after that encounter? Pastor, what does that mean? Are you going to go to heaven and be with Christ for all eternity? Or is He going to look at you and go, be ye gone, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. And the last thing that you're going to see before the smoke and the flames of a place called the lake of fire, which you will spend for all eternity, the only comfort that you're going to have for eternity separated from Christ is that last visual effect of seeing His nail-scarred hand when He says, be gone. Pastor, you trying to scare? I ain't trying to scare nobody. Do you need Jesus today? Do you need to make that decision quickly as I close? Christian, do you need to rededicate your life today? Do you need to be more committed? You may be coming to church, but that don't make you committed. You may be committed to a body in the building, but are you committed in spirit unto Christ?
what are you doing? Quickly, I'm going to close. Quickly. Thanks, Sister Jill. I'm honored and blessed to be here with you today. And I want to thank you on behalf of me and my wife for allowing us to be here. To be part of your life. I know the calling is on our life. That's, you understand. We love you. And we want you to be so happy. But we know what it's like to be so sad. Lock that heart's door. Let Jesus in. And don't never let him out. You want to put a smile back on your face? More of God. Less of you. You want to find great, greater favor? More of God. Less of you. You want to feel, as I close, you want to feel that your prayers are being heard by God every time that you pray? More of God less of you he's there because if you're saved he's in here let Jesus in hold on to him tightly and never let him go because he's always got you amen ah the Lord God he is so good